Uh, this morning, we want to turn our attention to Luke chapter number five. Luke chapter number five, and we want to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture this morning. And we want to look at it uh, with fresh eyes, and we are trusting that the Lord will say something significant to us this morning. Luke chapter number five, verse 17 declares, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a, were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts, which is easier, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or, or to say rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up, and before them he picked up what he had, lay, had, had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Uh, just for a few moments, I want to preach from a very simple subject title. I want to talk about when faith comes to church. We're going to talk about when faith comes to church. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the tremendous privilege that you give me to be able to share your word. God, I thank you that I've spent time preparing. I've spent time praying. But God, at this moment, what we need more so than anything else is your presence. God, I pray that you would help us in these moments to not be impressive, but God, we want to be impactful. God, we want to leave here different. God, we want to hear clearly from you, and God, we want to place our faith and our hope and our trust in you. God, help today to be the day of salvation for somebody. God, help today to be the day of deliverance for somebody. God, help us all to be in a position, God, where we receive what you have to say to us. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, before I uh, jump in, a uh, special shout out to Emma Shane and my guy for getting married. They got married? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. When you think about the text, most of us are very familiar with a dashboard light in your car. Any of us should appreciate the lights that are on the dashboard because the lights on the dashboard are indicators of something deeper that's going on with the car. On the dashboard, you have an oil light. On the dashboard, you have an engine light. On the dashboard, you have a battery light. And the lights on the dashboard are simply there to let you know that something deeper is happening under the hood. When the light comes on, the light is not the problem. For some of us, the light is the problem because we know we're going to have to spend some money. 
But in its design, the light is not the problem. The light is only an indicator of a greater problem that's under the hood. When you see the light, well, you can see the light, but you can't always see what's going on under the hood. Now, some of you guys may be, or some of you guys and girls may be uh, very gifted in fixing things. I'm not one of those people. Uh, when I see something uh, like a dashboard light come on, I'm immediately going to take my car into the service, uh, into the service shop because I know that when I take my car into the service shop, they are intimately acquainted with how the car is designed. I'm going to take my car to the maker of the car because they represent the one who is able, the one who has designed the car and the one who is able to fix the car. They have all the parts for the car. They know all the defects for the car. They know all the recalls connected to the car. And by delivering my car to the maker of the car, I'm saying to myself and I'm saying to the one I'm bringing the car to, you are responsible for fixing the issues that I cannot handle myself. When you consider Luke chapter number five, it is a reminder that in life, all of us have spiritual indicator lights that come on. We all have spiritual indicator lights that tell us that there's something going on beneath the surface. It's saying to us that we need to pay attention to something below the surface. When a spiritual life indicator light comes on, I cannot slap makeup on it. I cannot outpost the indicator light. I cannot dress up the indicator light. I cannot busy myself and hope that the indicator light goes off. I cannot many times even fix the light myself. When the indicator lights happen in my life, what needs to happen is I need to get to a place where I bring myself to the divine designer of this life. I need to bring, to my, bring myself to the place where I am bringing my life under the authority of the person and the one who created my life. When you think about Luke chapter number five, it's communicating that there are some issues in your life that you cannot fix yourself. I know we want to be tough. I know we want to work hard. I know we want to get things right in our own strength. But I, wanna, I just want to let you know, I'm a young man, but I've lived long enough to know that there are some issues in your life that you will not be able to fix yourself. There are some issues in your life that mama and daddy cannot fix. There are some issues in your life that your friends cannot fix. And there, there's some people who are here today where things have gotten so bad in our lives spiritually where we, ha we are having to be carried around on a mat. We're having to be carried around from place to place. And I want to just say this very clearly. You being carried around in your faith is not God's best for you. You limping around in your life spiritually it's not how God has designed you. And for you to be changed, for you to be delivered, for you to see things differently in your life, what has to happen is you have to go to the divine designer who can only fix the issues that are going on in your life. As we transition into the text, first we need to consider that, that as this man comes to Jesus, we see a wonderful demonstration of faith. Verse 18 says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in to lay him before Jesus. But finding no way in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. 
Uh, there is an, extraor uh, an extraordinary demonstration of, demonstration of faith in, in verses 18 and 19. I love the picture because it challenges us in terms of how we approach church. It challenges us in terms of how we uh, have accepted this comfortable, convenient, cushy kind of mindset when, when it comes to church. I want to just say this. It's just too good not to say, please don't come. Please don't allow how many folks who are here today to hinder you from coming back next week. Please don't have this mindset that because the church is packed, because there's not a lot of empty uh, seats in here, that maybe I shouldn't come next week. No, you see in the text, you see that there's a group of men who see that being in the presence of Jesus was too important, and they did not allow the big crowd to hinder them from coming to Christ. So to take uh, a moment and think about it from this perspective, imagine being at home because really, they were in a home. They were not in a physical church. It's amazing uh, for us to think about the home because really the home is the first church that we attend. It's the home that's the first church that we really lead. I want you to think about leading a Bible study in your home. I want you to think about leading a small group in your home. The scene is packed. The word is rich. The room is too full for anybody else to come in. And a group of friends make a decision to bring their friend and they make a decision uh, that, that they say the room is packed and I can't get in the door, so I'm going to go through the roof. I literally thought about this. If we were a bigger church, maybe Pilon or Sean could have fixed something. We could have lowered somebody down and missed the rest of that. <laughs> we don't have that. You're going to have to use your sanctified imagination this morning. But I want you to think about how shocked you would be right now if someone was let down from the roof. Upon his, upon his arrival, the people were shocked. They cut a hole in the roof to lower the man down. They cut a hole in the roof because they wanted the man to be in the presence of Jesus, and it was a powerful demonstration of their faith. I want to pause here and say a word about friendships. It's amazing to me that, that the friends were so committed to the man that they did not allow any, anything to hinder the man from being in the presence of Jesus. I want to say something about friendships. Having a godly friendship means I must be willing to let a friend down if it gets them in the presence of Jesus. I know we want day ones. I know we want friends who always support us. I know we want friends who are going to ride with us and ride for us. But I must ask myself the question, is the support I'm giving to my friends or, the, or is the support I'm receiving from my friendships helping me to be in the presence of Jesus? I know we want friends who can party. I know we want friends who can provide a good time. I know we want friends who pay us attention. I know we want friends who can even get you paid. But the text reminds us that you and I need friends who are going to help you get into the presence of Jesus. It's amazing how the friends in the text love their friend. Uh, their, their love for their friend overcame every obstacle. Their love for their friend made them even vandalize somebody else's property. Their love for their friend made them ignore judgment. Their love for their friend made them ignore people's opinions. Uh, we don't know many details about the paralyzed man. Maybe it was a father. Maybe it was a brother. Maybe it was an uncle. Maybe they had grown up with him. We don't know the details, but here's what we know. We know that they were willing to do whatever it took to get a friend in the presence of Jesus. They were willing to do whatever it took 
to help the person experience deliverance that can only be found in Christ. When you think about what the friends do, it really is a reminder of what God does for us through the cross. This is how God uh, responds to us. God loved us so much that he dug, so to speak, a roof through the world and lowered his son down so that Jesus could die for our sins. Every day you and I are able to live missionally where we are able to lower ourselves down to be loving for those who do not know Jesus. Sometimes we think about loving um, people uh, requiring us to go on, a, on the mission field. We, we think uh, that it requires us to go to Africa or some other country. I want to challenge you even this morning that, that loving someone and living missionally, helping them get in the presence of Jesus doesn't always require that you get on a plane. Sometimes it simply requires that you step outside of your cubicle at work. Sometimes it simply requires that you uh, go out of the back door of your house. So sometimes it just simply requires that you are willing uh, to, to invite someone to church or to willing to, to love somebody who is far from God. When you look at the text, uh, people are not going uh, uh, to just appear in the presence of Christ. Sometimes you and I need to be willing to help people get into the presence of Jesus. When you think about the text, they want it to be in the presence of Jesus Ultimately, because they understood that there was power in the presence of Jesus. I'll say it again. They understood that it was important to be in the presence of Jesus because ultimately they understood that there was great power in the presence of Jesus. So many times we, we, we misconstrue or we misinterpret where, where, where real power is. We think power is found in an office. We think power is found in a title. We think power is found uh, in people. But really, the text is telling us that power is found in the presence of Jesus. Power is not found in, in, in comfortable places or familiar places, but power is found when Jesus is present. I love the text because it reminds me that his presence and his power should always be my focus. When I demonstrate my faith, it has to be more than just going through the motions. It has to be more than me just checking off the box. When I demonstrate my faith, I need to be focused on God's presence, but also God's power. When I come to church, I, I, I love that we get to see each other. And, and I, I threw a couple of good jokes that I wish I could say from the pulpit, but I can't say it because it'll throw you off. But I, I love the fellowship that we have as a church. But I hope and pray that, that the goal is not just us being together and having a good time. I hope and pray that the goal of our coming together is the power and the presence of Jesus. That we're to a place in our life where we understand that every time we come together, we can experience God's power and God's presence. Uh, when you have that devotional time, it's not that we're just doing it uh, out of routine, but we're doing it because we understand that every time I open up God's word, there's his power and his presence. When I have coffee or lunch with another believer, I'm not just doing it to check off the box. I understand that there's power and God's presence when believers come together. In the text, you see a commitment to Jesus because they understood that his power and that his presence would be, make the difference. I'm not trying to come to pray to impress people. I'm not trying to come to church to be seen. I'm coming because I want God's power 
And I want God's presence in every aspect of my life, not just on Sunday, but every day of my life. When you look at uh, the the friends who brought uh, the friend to Jesus, it challenges us concerning our our faith. It challenges us concerning uh, this this tendency that we have uh, to comfortable cultural Christianity. It, it challenges us that we need to move past doing what's comfortable and convenient and we need to have a position and a commitment to where we are willing to demonstrate our faith. So first we see the demonstration of their faith, but secondly we see the declaration of forgiveness. Verse 20 says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. When you read verse 20, there are many thoughts that flow from the text. There are many different interpretations that come from the text. Uh, Some would say that Jesus is being insensitive in the text. Jesus says nothing about the man's physical condition. Uh, Immediately, he addresses the man's spiritual condition. Uh, Others have used this as a proof text uh, to make the point that any physical issue in life, any physical disability is because of sin. I want to address those two opinions. I want to address the first uh, the first opinion, well, the first opinion last and the second opinion first. I, I want to clearly say this. Anytime someone is dealing with a physical issue, it is not only unhealthy, it is unbiblical, it is sinful to automatically think that it is because of personal sin. In Luke 5, we got to be clear, the disability is definitely connected to sin because Jesus specifically addresses the man's sin. Jesus specifically addresses the issue of sin in Luke 5. But I want you to look at uh, John chapter number 9 with me as well. Go with me quickly to John chapter 9. I'm going to read verse number 1. John 9, verse 1 says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. There was this theology that if anything was bad in life, it had to be connected to personal sin. And Jesus in John 9 specifically addresses the fact that just because there's a disability in life does not mean the disability is connected to personal sin. I want to say this as a pastor. I want you to hear my heart on this. Disabilities are not a result of sin unless God says it is. Disabilities are not a mark of a lack of faith. Disabilities and struggles in life should not uh, be something that we perpetuate that, that says that people who are wrong or sinful are getting paid back for the bad that they've done. That's not what the scriptures are communicating. That's not what the scriptures are teaching us today. I was at a conference this week, and it was so apparent that we must do a better job as church members, as believers, of loving those who have uh, members of their family with disabilities. We need to be reminded that even with a disability, a person is still created in the image and the likeness of God, which means that they have tremendous value from God. 
We need to, we need to appreciate that God says that we are all precious in his sight. A person's disability does not uh, remove that, that, that God loves them and cares for them. And a person's disability does not mean that God has forgotten about a person or, and it does not, does not mean specifically that a person has specifically sinned. I, I want to say this to, to every member of our congregation and every person who's visiting. If you have someone in your family who struggles with disability, I want to say this very clearly. Please do not allow Satan to get you to believe that that is a result of your sin. That because you made mistakes in your past, you are being paid for it now. That is a lie from Satan. I want to say a word to every person who deals with mental instability. I want to say a word to women in our church who deal with fertility issues. I want to say a word to anyone who deals with any physical issue just because you deal with that issue does not mean that God has forgotten about you, does not mean that God is punishing you, does not mean that you are a second-class second Christian. But in the text, there's an issue of sin. In the text, Jesus is specifically dealing with the man's sin because it was sin that caused the condition in his life. Some of us may think that Jesus could have been a little bit more loving, could have been a little bit more caring, he could have been a little bit more patient, but I want to just challenge you with this, this very simple thought. Jesus loved the man too much to not address the issue that was causing the problem. Jesus was not simply dealing with the fruit. Jesus specifically dealt with the root. If you have an issue with what Jesus did, I want to just present it to you this way. If you go to a doctor and you are sick, if you go to a doctor and you have an issue, do you want the doctor to deal with the symptoms of the problem or the real root of the problem? Do you want the doctor just to make you feel better or do you, want to, or do you desire that the doctor will help you be whole? When you look at the text, Jesus doesn't simply deal with the symptoms. Jesus deals with the root issues that were causing the symptoms. And because Jesus loves us and because Jesus cares about us and because Jesus is committed to us, Jesus is going to speak to the root, not simply the fruit. I think someone needs to hear that this morning because a lot of times we want to deal with the fruit of sin. We want to deal with the results of sin, and we don't want to deal with the heart issues that are connected to our sin. When you look at the issues that are connected to our sin, they will never change until our heart changes. Our habits may change, but until our heart changes, God is not able to allow us to be who he's called us to be. When you think about the text, until the root changed, he couldn't be the husband God called him to be. Until the root changed, he couldn't be the disciple that God called him to be. Until the root changed, he could not be the man the, or fill in the blanks, the husband, the wife, uh, the son, the daughter, the member of his community that God wanted him to be until God addressed the root. In the text, Jesus is not being insensitive. Jesus is really being sensitive to the greater issue that was going on in his life. I, I want to say issue about, uh, say, say a word about sin uh, that's, that's probably unpopular that makes you uncomfortable. A sin is more than a habit. Sin is more than a struggle. Sin is more than your personality. Sin is disobedience to God. Sin is rebellion to God. Sin is saying no to God and saying yes to my flesh. And sin causes me 
to be defiant to God. It causes me to resist God. It makes me hard-hearted. It makes me prideful. It makes me angry. It makes me short-tempered. It makes me selfish. It makes me self-centered. It allows life to revolve around me. And when we are sinning, and when we are unwilling to submit ourselves to the Lord, there are consequences to our sin. We see very clearly in the text that God forgives the man of his sin. God forgives him of his sin. And I want to say from a theological standpoint, catch this. When you are in Christ, all your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. Like, Like we have a faith that says that the blood of Jesus covers all of my sins. That we we have a faith and a relationship with God that that gets us to know that God does not deal with us according to our sin, but God's love for us is how he looks at us. When God sees us, he sees his sacrifice of his son. We are accepted. We are sons and daughters. That is a proper theological standpoint that we need to accept. But I want to say the other side of it. The other side of it is this. How many years, this is how I'm looking at the text. I wonder how many years the man wasted on that bed because of sin. I wonder how many days he had to be carried by his friends because of his sin. I wonder when he was sinning, did he think about how the sin would impact him down the road? I wonder when he was sinning, was the sin worth being on the bed? Was the sin worth having his friends have to carry him around? Was the sin worth the shame? Was the sin worth the pain? Was the sin worth it? And I don't know about you. I got a lot of sin in my life. I got a lot of issues in my life. I got a lot of struggles in my life. But I cannot tell you one of them that I can say was worth it. I cannot tell you one time I was disobedient to God where I said, you know what? That was worth it. But I can look at my life, if I'm being honest, and I can look at my life and see opportunities that I missed. I can see ministry opportunities that I missed. I can see issues that I caused. I can see how I put weight on others having to carry me because of my sin. And what I want you to see this morning is I don't want you to focus on the past being carried. I want you to focus on moving forward. Will you continue to be sinful? Will you continue to be disobedient to God? Will you continue to have people have to carry you? Will you grow up in your faith? And you get to the place where you move from the bed to helping someone who needs to be carried. See, that's the great blessing of being a believer, that we're able to do for others what we were not able to do for ourselves. The blessing of a believer is God is able to change me, God is able to transform me, but also God is able to empower me to help other people be empowered and grow in their faith. So when I look at the text, what, what, what stands out to me is that the man was forgiven But I wonder how he felt over all the opportunities wasted, over all the ministry he wasted, over being a burden to others because he was personally disobedient to God. So first we see very clearly, we see that there is a demonstration of faith. We also see that there is a declaration of forgiveness. But lastly, we see there is a denial of divine favor. Verse 21 says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The real paralytics, the real folks who were paralyzed in the text were the Pharisees and the teachers. The real people who who were unable to respond were those who were hard-hearted 
because they lacked faith. When you look at the text, when the roof opened, they should have been the ones who were celebrating. When the roof opened, they should have been the ones who, who were helping the poor, crippled man. But instead of love, they showed indifference. Instead of faith, they showed criticism. Instead of uh, uh, allowing uh, the Lord to do something special, they wanted to make an accusation against what Jesus had called uh, them to do and experience. The holy men of Israel had a theological objection in verse 21. It says, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So to catch this, they were proper in their theology of forgiveness. They were right. Only God can do that. Only God can forgive us of our sins. They had the right theology, but catch this. They applied the theology the wrong way. They could articulate the scriptures, but they were unwilling to live out the scriptures. And the more I studied the text, the more I am certainly uh, convinced that that, that, that today we have a great connection with a paralytic man. Because of our sin, because of our disobedience, we have many times in our life where we find ourselves crippled on the bed. There are other times in our life where we are very close to the friends who carried their loved one. They, they carried him to Jesus. There are many people who are, who are carrying other people to Jesus in this room. Now, I, I want to celebrate that. But the more I look at the text, the more I see the connection between us and the religious group as well. There's so many of us here today who have, we have right theology. We go to a gospel-centered church. We go to a Bible-believing church. We can articulate the truths of our faith. But the question is, are we living out those truths? Are we limiting Jesus' authority in our life? Like, I, I, I want Jesus to save me of my sins. I want him to guarantee me heaven uh, for eternity. I want that for me. But I'm a, am I allowing Jesus to have access to every a- aspect of my life? Am I cutting off his authority to just the areas that I want him in? Or am I allowing him to touch and transform every single area of my life? Like, I, I want the spiritual growth. I want, I want the peace and confidence. When I, when I have a big test, I want to go in there and know that I'm going to, uh, I can do all things through Christ, and I'm going to have a, make an A on the test, right? I, I know that, that when I have my, that big meeting with my boss, like, I want to I wanna quote Philippians 4.13. I want to go in there and be bold, and I want to have my, my spiritual cape on, and I want to soar to higher heights. But what about the areas that I, want, I don't want to surrender to Jesus? What about those areas of my life where I say, Lord, you're good, but I'm good over here, right? With my dating relationships, Lord, I'm good. With my money, I'm good. With my time, I'm good. With that relationship that I know that needs to be mended, with that that apology that I know needs to be extended, with that that area of my life where I'm being hard-hearted in, am I willing to submit those areas to Jesus as well? In the text, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had cor- correct theology, but they made an objection in terms of Jesus' authority. Jesus speaks to them. He says, what's harder for me to say the man's sins are forgiven or for me to tell the man to get up and walk? Of course, we know that it's, it's harder for Jesus to tell the man to get up and walk. Jesus speaks to him. He gets up and he walks. And this is what we see in verse 26. It says, an amazement sees them all. And they all glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Chris, you can come on up. I'm done. When you look at verse 26, we see an extraordinary reaction 
to what Jesus did. But the more I look at the text, I see something missing in the text. I see something that, that I would like to think would have happened. I mean, here Jesus is. Jesus forgives the man of his sins. Jesus tells the man to get up and walk. Jesus proves he has authority. He proves that he's in control. He speaks to the man being sinful, and nobody in the text says, Lord, can you forgive me too? Like nobody in the text is humble enough to say, Lord, I need that same forgiveness too. And it's amazing to me that a lot of us are in church. A lot of us are, are around the things of God. A lot of us come and we hear messages but a lot of times we're, we're so proudful and we're so hard-hearted that we don't ask the Lord to do that for us too. In, in a room this, this large, I just wonder if there's someone here today who's never placed your faith in Christ. I know you've been in church. I know you've been around it. I know you've heard the stories. Maybe, maybe you've even been baptized. But with every head bowed, every eyes closed, I just want to ask very simply, have you gotten to the place in your life where you have surrendered to Jesus? I want to, I want to clarify this. I'm not asking, are you perfect? I'm not asking, have you gotten to the place where you don't make any mistakes? I'm asking very clearly, have you gotten to the place in your life where you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you gotten to the place in your life where you recognize that your personal sin has separated you from God? And because of your disobedience to God, you deserve hell. But because of God's great love for you, and because of God's great desire for a relationship with you, he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins in your place. I'm asking very clearly this morning, have you gotten to the place in your life personally where you've asked the Lord to save you? Where you've asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins? Where you've asked the Lord to come into your life for the rest of your life. If you've never done that this morning, and you'd like, to, to like today to be the day, where you ask Christ into your life. Not the day where you stop sinning, not the day where you're perfect, but the day where you want to begin a relationship with Jesus where you are surrendering your life to Christ. If that's you this morning, with every other head bowed, every other eye closed, I want you to look up at me this morning. That's you this morning. We have one. Don't want to miss anybody. Don't want to miss anybody. With every head lifted, I want to give us our three points of application today. When I look at the text and I see uh, this passage, there are three things that I want us to, to think about today to apply to our lives. And there are three very simple, simple prayer requests that we're going to have. Number one, 
I pray that you and I are willing to evaluate our environment. Are the people around you pulling you closer to Jesus or are the people around you pulling you away from Jesus? Very simple. Either your environment is going to help you grow closer to Christ or your environment is going to help you grow away from Christ. And I want to challenge you, if your current environment is pulling you away from Christ, I want you to pray that the Lord will place you in environments to where you are being pulled closer to Christ. And I want you to pray specifically that you can be the one to help pull other people closer to Christ. So first, may we evaluate our environment. But secondly, may we evaluate our issues. Are we simply dealing with the fruit or the root? I want to deal with the root issues in my life because I want to see God change my life. I'm I'm, I'm to the point in my life where I'm just, I'm past better. I, I don't want just better for my life. I want God's best for my life. And for me to have God's best for my life, I got to deal with the root issues in my heart. Can't just deal with the habits. I need God to transform my heart from the inside out. Because when God transforms my heart, everything else changes. Then lastly, after we evaluate our environment and our issues, lastly, we need to evaluate our expectations. When you think about it, their theology was correct. They knew exactly what the scriptures should say, but they limited what Jesus could do in their life because they wanted to separate and segment their life like you and I do. There's so many areas of our lives where Jesus desires authority over them. Jesus desires authority not just on Sunday, not just in the spiritual areas. Every aspect of your life is a spiritual issue. And for you to have God's best, You've got to allow God to have his way in every area of your life.